That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. It's now time for the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By, presented by Superbook Sports on your home for the most Nuggets content. Denver's Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to the second consecutive win for the Nugs on the road in Miami. 112-108 in a very tight game. A very good basketball game um, that uh, turned out to be a victory for the Nuggets and a... Uh, a team in Miami, guys, who had won eight consecutive games down there in Miami, and the Nuggets come in there, get a win. I think it's one of the more signature road wins of the season for a couple different reasons. One, Miami's just a good basketball team at home. They had, they were winning twice as many games as they lost, riding an eight-game win streak in Miami, and you also acknowledge that Denver didn't have their second or third leading scores. In my mind, I had an expectation of a loss. Not in a sense that I was predicting a loss. I was watching the game with great intrigue. But I came in like, you want to know what? Let's see what happens. But I am I am not. Uh, the expectation is, is not to win. And it probably should be. It probably should be because the Nuggets have the greatest player in the world right now in Nikola Jokic, who in 34 minutes missed a total of two shots. Somehow, some way, Jokic continues to redefine his own greatness. 12 for 14 from the floor, perfect from the free throw line, didn't even attempt the three, pulls down 12 rebounds, 8 assists for 27 points. He was a plus 5 when he was out there. He is the stinking man. And you talk about when this game was in flux, Jokic had 10 points in the third quarter, and he was absolutely cooking one of the best defenders that the NBA has to offer, and Bam Adebayo. Jokic was giving him that work. Seriously. I don't remember Bam taking it on the chin in a one-on-one matchup. Not saying it hasn't happened, but Jokic just honestly was in his bag. There was a um, there was a, a possession with about two minutes left where he was the forceful version of his own self that uh, I wanted him to be, say, in that game uh, was a couple, two, three weeks back against Philly on uh, that Saturday. It was Saturday or Sunday on ABC, like the big marquee matchup, two MVP favorites. And it was Joel Embiid down the stretch of the game that just absolutely took the game by the horns and was like, yo, we're either winning with me or we're, or we're losing with me, but it will be with me. And Jokic cranked up that level of assertion on Bam about two minutes left, had Bam uh, in the post, and it was such a physical possession, but it was a spin, it was using the footwork, and it was a signature a bucket that ended up taking a, making a four-point lead, a six-point lead, 110 to 104. I thought it was one of the biggest baskets in the game, and more than just actually the score itself, it was Jonas, uh, Jonas. it was Jokic, taking the onus of uh, that I'm that dude at this juncture in the game. I'm not letting us lose. We're going up multiple possessions right now. Give me the basketball. And down the stretch uh, in the fourth quarter, 
not just down the stretch, in the fourth quarter in general, there was too many possessions where Jokic didn't even get a touch. And the Nuggets were just getting um, just bad shots, bad possessions when the game was hanging in the balance. But ultimately, uh, Jokic took control uh, down the stretch. This game, a couple more takeaways. I thought the bench was largely terrific. The bench in the first half uh, was beating the Heat bench, and the second half only extended that lead. The Nuggets bench between Jeff Green, Thomas Bryant in his debut, Ish Smith, and Christian Brown ended up totaling um, 35 points. The 12 plus the 10 plus the 2 plus the 10. 35 points. Then you look at what the Miami bench did between uh, Robinson and uh, Highsmith. It, it was, I think it was a total of 19 points. So the, the the Nuggets bench beat the Heat bench 35-19, to 19, and I thought that was as much of the reason why Denver ended up winning that game by six as opposed to losing it by six. It was as instrumental as Jokic was, um, was that second unit, and you love to see it. Love to see Thomas Bryant in his first game in the Nuggets uniform going a hyper-efficient four for five from the floor in 14 minutes. Ended up making a deep two there. Uh, a couple finishes around the rim of a perfect two for two in his one trip to the free throw line. And he finishes with uh, 10 points. Honestly, like under the umbrella of expectation, probably as, probably as best as, as uh, could be expected in his, in his debut as he kind of settled in um, throughout that basketball game. Uh, I thought Jeff Green was another guy. Rough start to the game, settled in throughout the basketball game. Um, defensively, the Nuggets continue to be like a better version of themselves than they were two months ago. And now you look with that win, they are a whopping, and I do mean whopping, five games ahead of the Memphis Grizzlies for that number one spot in the Western Conference. And while we are giving shout outs here, a guy who deserves a spotlight over him for his 28 minutes of play and what he did in the fourth quarter. Forget the raw numbers because he scored 10 points on four for six shooting. Really good. But I'm talking about Vlako Chanchar and the winning plays that he made in winning time. I mean, he had a big-time block on a three-point shot in the fourth quarter. Uh, he, he scored on a fantastic cut and feed from Jokic for a layup. When Jokic was drawing uh, all the attention, it was a block-to-block, essentially big-to-big pass. Just an on-time cut uh, from, from Chanchar, who knows and is becoming more and more and more comfortable how to play side-by-side with Jokic. He also, Chanchar, had a fantastic find of Bruce Brown for a huge three-point shot with under four minutes left in the fourth. He drove from the right side of the floor, attracted uh, that weak side defense, hit Brown, who knocked in a big-time three. Uh, Bruce Brown ended up scoring uh, 16 points on a 50% shooting from the field, made three threes. That was one of them, and no bigger shot than Brown than that pass with under four minutes left in the fourth quarter from Chanchar. And then Chanchar wasn't done. He had a monster block on Struess with 30 seconds left, up four by just going exactly vertical. I mean, you cannot play more vertical defense than Vlako Chanchar played with 36 seconds left on Struess. That was a game-winning type of play. Like, it's not some buzzer beater that ends up on SportsCenter, but it's just as impactful, in my opinion. So, Chanchar, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I mean, we've talked about this guy 
um, through the months and some, you know, when his playing time's limited and you got to go out there and perform in small sample sizes, he just looks all sped up and disjointed. But he, through these last um, few weeks, has just, he's firmly in the playing group and his comfort level um, is reflective uh, of those uh, more and more minutes that he's got on his plate and played almost 30 uh, there on on Monday night uh, in Miami. So absolutely love to see that uh, from Vlatko. Um, Okay, Uh, Michael Porter Jr., give him a quick spotlight, made five threes. Uh, Wasn't a perfect game for MPJ. Uh, You could still see defensively there's some real lapses where he just gets lost or blown by. But you sort of kind of take that bad with the good. He scores 17 points, pulled down six rebounds, had a block, had a steal. Um, so a decent, like maybe like a, a B a type of grade for, for Michael Porter Jr. Uh, on Monday night as well. Um, what else do I, did I want to get to? Oh, uh, was just praising Bruce Brown a little bit. If you finish the game, watching the game like I did, you just cannot have the foul that Bruce Brown had with five seconds left, down five. He has got to know better. He fouled a three-point shooter. It just can't happen, point blank, period. You saw the frustration from Jokic. Have loved Bruce Brown and so much about him. He's not a perfect player by any means, but he knows better than that. And that type of bleep, and I have it here in my notes, that type of bleep will lose you a playoff game with the razor-thin margins that'll be um, apparent this spring. It's just a bad IQ play that could have, in in a world, actually cost the Nuggets uh, that game on Monday night in Miami. It didn't, thank goodness, um, and all is well. But you just can't foul a, a three-point shooter with five seconds left. There's just no reason to do it. Um, okay, there's a couple other things I want to get to here. Uh, and I want to start with the most serious, and that is Jamal Murray's knee. Jamal Murray has not played now in over a week. Last week, uh, I remember on the air here in Denver, our Stokely and Zach show, uh, he was like, uh, my, my co-host was like, I'm worried about this Jamal Murray injury. His knee, it, um, it's it's swollen or whatever the report was at the time. And I'm like, don't worry about it. That's not his surgically repaired knee. Well, I think we should be worried about it because Jamal now has not played since he scored 41 points against the Atlanta Hawks, that was 10 days ago today at the time of recording. At the time of recording, it's Tuesday afternoon, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, If you observe, (laughs) Um, I'm married and I almost halfway don't. Uh, But he hadn't played in 10 days from the time of recording. The next game is against Dallas at home on Wednesday night, the 15th. That'll be 11 days since the last time he played. Then you have the All-Star break, which is going to be another week. That'll put him at like 17, 18 days since last playing. If Jamal Murray does not play against Cleveland in Cleveland on Thursday, February 23rd, my antennas and alarms are going to be firing like crazy. The Nuggets have caught every green light from a health standpoint so far this season after two seasons of being marred by injury. The Nuggets will not and cannot win an NBA championship without Jamal Murray. We went over the dynamic of champions, I think, on the most previous episode or the episode before that. Just historically, who you need as Robin to Batman 
in really like eight out of every ten champions. Okay? And come this spring, the Nuggets are going to need their blue chip high-end talent to be available. And the thought that for another season, Jamal Murray could have his spring disrupted by injury, I just shudder to think. But to think that that couldn't be a variable at play here is also probably pretty naive. So we're going to do a full stop on the conversation from there. And and by the way, we know we know um, some context of this injury because it was Dennis Scott, D3, uh, former uh, player that does a lot of work for NBA TV, said that he talked to Jamal and they were re- going to reevaluate after the All-Star break. Reevaluate what? What type of injury is it? Is it swelling? Is it a sprain? Is there fluid in there that needs to come out? Like, I don't know what this is. Is it an MCL? Is it? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But this is beyond, like, maintenance here, in my opinion. Doesn't feel like that. So you could have, you know, like I said, you know, from February 4th is the last time Jamal played. At the earliest we'll see him is February 23rd. That's not ideal. Um, but we'll wait and see uh, the update post-All-Star break, or maybe we even get news during that time off. Probably not, but maybe. Um, so we'll wait uh, with bated breath on what the hell is going on there. In uh, another file of what the hell is going on is this back-and-forth stuff with Bones Highland, man. Holy moly. In like a week's time, it went from like, is there some friction to holy crap, we now know, like, definitively, we were speculating before, we now know, like, definitively just how bad that things were between Bones and the organization. Um, we talked about some of the reporting around it, how there was a veteran during uh, the Bones uh, being shopped, saying that they weren't displeased. Um, the, the big fracture came after he walked off the bench and walked out of the arena, um, you know, a few weeks back, and that created a real... Um, like line of demarcation between Bones and the rest of the team, particularly veterans. Um, you know, someone like MPJ has waxed poetically how much Bones means to him. But for a guy like Nikola Jokic, who was, when asked was said no comment this past week about Bones Highland, um, we had the we had the Jamal Murray tweet, the subliminal uh, tweet of like don't complain about things where you didn't put the work in, and you know then he says oh he didn't mean it about Bones and. I never bought that for a second. And then you got Bones uh, taking the private plane from the Clippers back to L.A. saying this is how you treat someone because the report was that they made Bones fly commercial uh, after that incident where he walked off uh, the bench. And then you have him posting a picture of him in a Clippers shirt saying that I'm going to make them pay for everything that they did. Um, then you have Bones, the latest installment. It's just, I mean, just crazy um, slander is, you know, Bones being interviewed and saying, hey, what, what's the difference between playing with Jokic and Jamal as opposed to what it's going to be like playing with Kawhi and Paul George? And Bones says something along the lines of, yeah, like these two are great players and, you know, they had one great player there and there's two great players here. And it's like, holy moly. And then, of course, Bones says, hey, you know, don't try to make it about me versus Jamal. And Jamal tried to do the same thing the week before. So it's there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of just kind of like, catty teenage girl stuff going on here uh, between these two guys. But clearly, there was something up, okay? Like, that is so obviously low-hanging fruit at this point. And if they're doing this stuff in the media, what are they saying to their brother or cousin or teammate uh, about the other? So things got ugly. 
the two teams are going to play each other on ESPN on a Sunday night in like two weeks, February 26th. So that now game in Denver takes on just a new life of its own. How will Bones be received? I thought maybe even as recent as yesterday he could get booed when he comes back, but Nuggets fans are largely forgiving, largely, uh, as long as you're not like a Carmelo Anthony degree of, you know, sort of, you know, wanting out and, you know, but Bones wanted out. Like, Bones wanted out of this. Bones was playing 20 minutes a night for the number one team in the Western Conference, averaging double figures, and he stomped his feet and wanted out. So I don't think he'll get booed, but at the same time, if I was there, I wouldn't be cheering him. Like, I probably wouldn't be booing him, but I wouldn't be cheering him either. So, okay, we'll leave that uh, where it lies unless another installment comes, and there's been like seven of them in the last ten days. Wild. Um, Okay, Uh, the next game on the docket here is uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday evening, at home against the Dallas Mavericks with Kyrie Irving. That game is at 7 o'clock here uh, locally. Uh, Dallas coming off a uh, nail-biting, nail-biting loss uh, against the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves at home, 124-121. They'd lost the game in Sacramento before that. So they're going to try to avoid a three-game losing streak um, and we'll see what that age, what that, what that new partnership, how that age is between Luca and Kyrie. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to jump to any grand assumption one way or the other. Um, and uh, here short, in short order, hopefully by Wednesday night, but certainly after the All-Star break, uh, we'll get to see the debut of Reggie Jackson and see what that looks like uh, in a Nuggets uniform and begin to um, you know look at the team, uh, what we hope is going to be this spring as it comes into focus Post-trade deadline, post-All-Star break, stuff starts to get real, becomes more of a sprint, okay? Um, As we are 58 games into the NBA season, it it is the best start through 58 games in the history of the Denver Nuggets franchise. So that is awesome. 40-18, and tremendous. Number one team in the NBA at home. Uh, The only uh, 40-game winners right now in the NBA are are uh, the Boston Celtics, who are the, still the title favorites. Uh, they have 41 wins, and the Nuggets have 40 with an opportunity to get to 41 on Wednesday evening. All right, guys, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, we'll see what happens on Wednesday evening. We'll see what uh, the latest is with the actual signing of Reggie Jackson. And when all that stuff takes place, you already know we're going to be talking about it on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.